know that. I don't even know how it sounds, but we're trying to come up with intros. And that sounds very Terminator-y to me. One of my favorite movies, spoiler alert. Um, but hello and welcome uh, to... What's the hell is the name of the damn show? Uh, it's Analysis Paralysis. This is episode two. I am your host, Luke Holt. I am alone, both emotionally physically and on this podcast so uh it's just gonna be me hopefully we'll have a guest one day i'll probably say that every single time uh for the sake of consistency but today we're gonna try a little something new it's probably gonna be a little longer than the first episode because i'm still trying to work out the kinks see how i want to do this thing here uh my roommates may uh interrupt me every now and then or you might hear my phone buzz but this is unedited unedited raw footage because I don't know how to edit, and I like things to be organic. So that is what we're going to do. But today, um, before I get into it, uh, I'm going to review three games today. The Triple Threat. Uh, we are going to do, in order, uh, Crown of Amara, Lost Ruins of Ardak, and Inish. Or Inis. I-N-I-S. I'm not sure the exact pronunciation, but... Uh, these are three games that I've played in the last month for the first time, uh, and I will get into them eventually here, but I just kind of want to talk about something that I did on Sunday uh, a couple days ago. So, man, let me let me find out the name of these things here real quick before I start rambling about this. Um, I bought these head this new pair of headphones. Before this, I had about a $40 pair of headphones, and then I bought these, and they are the uh, PDP Gaming Level 50 Wireless Headset. Don't buy them. They are terrible. They crackle. I don't know if it's my computer jack, like the USB port, uh, but they beep randomly, even when I, it's fully charged. I don't know. Rant over. Don't buy them. Anyways, uh, this Sunday, a little bit of background I love card games. I've always loved playing card games. I collected like Pokemon cards as a kid and Digimon and all this, that, and the other. Also, fun fact, uh, Digimon, the theme song that goes, Digimon, Digital Monsters, Digimon, da-da-da-da. Uh, up until I was probably 19 or 20, I didn't know what he said there. So the actual lyrics is, Digimon, Digital Monsters, Digimon are the champions. I thought he said... Uh, garlic shotguns. I, I swear to you, go listen to it and you won't think I'm that stupid. But it sounds like Digimon, Digital Monsters, Digimon, Garlic Shotguns. That's what it sounds like. Alright, so back on topic, if we even are on one. So Sunday, I started looking into a bunch of dead card games. Uh, I have a buddy from Florida named Jason, who's kind of like the homie that I play a lot of games with. And we have very similar tastes. And he had me join this Facebook group called Dead CCG Collectors. And kind of the whole thing that spawned this is that we played Warhammer Warhammer 40k Conquest, which is a living card game. If you're, if you're confused about the difference between an LCG, which is a living card game, and a TCG, a trading card game. A trading card game, you basically buy packs, uh, packs of cards, and you get random things in them. Uh, and so rarity becomes a thing and cards are harder to find, yada, yada, yada. But a, uh, trading or a living card game is where you buy 
kind of like a tiny little expansion pack that's like 10 to 15 bucks and the cards you get are the cards you get no matter how many times you buy it um which i actually i mean it lacks individuality and being able to make like a unique deck i suppose uh because everyone has access to the same card pool for the same price but a lot of people don't like pay to win strategies in the first place so uh so i kind of like it and warhammer is i'm not a huge warhammer person as far as like the tabletop game goes but i do love the theme of that universe especially like the chaos demons and the chaos marines and stuff like that there's the dogs so i uh we played this game like two or three years ago and i always kept an eye on it on ebay because it's relatively cheap to get into just buy a couple core sets and then i think there's about 11 or 12 expansion packs and then two big box expansions but you could probably and but one of them is kind of sought after it's hard to get but if everything but that it's probably about three hundred dollars to own 90 percent of the game uh so i got into that and then he kind of would tag me in posts for other games and uh, i finally just kind of started digging into them because he tagged me in a game called rage which is uh kind of like an it's an old game from the 90s card game and uh it has a bunch of like werewolves and the cards are kind of double-sided or one side is the human the other side is the werewolf and it's a very popular game in the dead card game community if you will uh and there's a bunch of old games like uh, there's BattleTech, which is this mech game there's some old warhammer card games which i'm super interested in there's this, this old game called Wars, which used to be a Star Wars card game, which there's also one of those, but it used to be a Star Wars card game, but then I think they lost the license, it became Wars, something along those lines. And there's just, a, I love old art, old card art. And uh, so I kind of went on a deep, deep, deep dive on Sunday, and I ended up buying, um, it's not a dead game, but the Universal Fighting System, or I think it's UFS. I bought a box of the Street Fighter stuff because I grew up playing Street Fighter and I love it to death. Some of the art on the game is recycled from Street Fighter 4, so I know all the art very well, but uh, it was an absolute blast. I, I kid you not, I spent nine hours just looking at cards from multiple games and short how-to-play videos, and just it was selling me. And the whole uh, thing with Ultimate Fighting System really, really intrigued me because... You, I like games where you kind of get to dump your hand on the table. And so every turn you're drawing up to six or seven cards and then you play them into this area. And uh, the more cards you play, the harder it is. But if you played cards earlier in the game, then you get to use those to essentially add to the ability to play those cards. And it's just a very sleek, cool game. And uh, I think a lot of the draw of it is... They have a lot of IPs like Mortal Kombat and Soul Calibur and Street Fighter and Cowboy Bebop and some other anime stuff like Yu Yu Hakusho and stuff like that. And so you can kind of just shove a bunch of cards together and have a deck with a bunch of different video games in them, kind of like a Super Smash Brothers type thing. So it's pretty cool. Uh, so we're getting into that. I'm sure I'll elaborate more on that once I actually play the game a little bit more. I actually haven't played a single game of it, but... Um, I'm going to. That's the plan. Even if it's over FaceTime with Jason. So, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about that because I it was a full day. And since then, I've bought a good bit of stuff. I bought some Rage, bought some Wars, 
bought uh, Legend of the Five Rings, the old game, just a bunch of starter sets because I think it'd be cool to just kind of bust out an old game and know how to play it and just play very basic decks against people and it'd be really fun. So just have those laying around. Um, so yeah, let's get into the meat of today. Uh, let's start with Crown of Amara. So I have the uh, thing up here. So Crown of Amara came out in 2018. Uh, it is a game made by Benjamin Schwer. Uh, let's see what else, what other games this feller designed. He made uh, nothing I have ever heard of except for maybe Hadara. So good for him, I guess. On Board Game Geek, it is ranked 788 overall. That's pretty decent, I'd say. Top 1,000 is kind of hard to hard to hit. Uh, game plays one to four players. Uh, it says 45 to 75 minutes. I would agree with that because I think it maybe took us a little over an hour to play, and it was with three players. Um, it's not a super-duper heavy game, but there's just a couple of... Uh, uh, there's just a, a decent amount going on just because there's two different boards. Um so let's see here i'll just kind of i have a little breakdown here on my uh on my computer so i can have a little bit more structure this time uh so we're going to go over a couple things and then i'll just kind of blab about the game uh so the artwork uh the artwork of the game is actually pretty great uh there are two boards like i said one of the boards is this kind of just a very basic uh town like forest town there's a couple houses, there's some symbols, there's a little bit of a forest, like basically one, there's, it's kind of four triangles that mash together. Each one has a different resource, so each piece of the triangle matches that style. So the one that's very foresty has wood on it, the one that has uh, wheat has like wheat fields on it, the one with stone has stones on it, you get the point. Uh, but it's, it's, it's good art, I mean, I'm, I'm not like blown away by it but it's definitely polished uh, so there's that and then the other board looks kind of like the inside of a it's the equivalent of uh kind of it looks, it looks like there's like a fountain in the middle and there's a house or a big building on each different thing uh, and it's the same type of board as the other one there's four triangles mashed together and there's one that's kind of festival looking one that looks like a capital, one that's like a blacksmith, and then uh, one's like a library. Um, the art, it's a little bit busier on this one. The art is, uh, and it, I mean, it looks good. It's definitely a pretty game. I can't, I can't knock it for that. Uh, the the uh, cover of the game is very unassuming. It's just a kind of a picture of a crown, but it is what it is. Uh, so that's the artwork. Artwork is definitely good, like 8 out of 10 maybe, 7.5 out of 10. Nothing like stands out, but it is definitely a good-looking game. Uh, Playtime I went over already. Uh, took us a little over an hour. Now that we know the sim, and that, that's including learning the game uh, and being in the think tank, uh, trying to think, figure out what to do. Um, the weight of the game is not literally, but in terms of how difficult it is, uh, I wouldn't call it that difficult of a game. I think if someone's only ever played Catan, then yes, it is heavy. But it is relatively straightforward, um, especially on the second playthrough. You wouldn't have any questions as to what happens next. It's a very, pretty straightforward game, I would say. What type of style of game is this? I'm so bad at... Uh, same with music. I'm so bad at putting a genre to a game. 
but this is basically a victory point game, but there's a little bit of a s s interesting take on the victory point track, which I'll get to. Um, but essentially, you, it's worker placement. You put a guy somewhere, you get some resources, spend those resources on the other board. Like the, the green board is all for resources, and then you use those resources on the other board. So they're two separate things. So you have, uh, I believe you have five workers. It's four or five workers that you can place onto these buildings. And when you place them on those buildings, you essentially double your benefit or double your options when you go there. Uh, and then you can place, there's three spots on each one. So 12 spots total. And so people can get blocked out. But if you have three guys on one tile and then you put your actual worker there and then you'll get four of a thing but no one really did that in our game i think the max someone had was maybe two um let's see here so yeah it's just a worker placement game you get resources you buy stuff it's pretty pretty straightforward uh the theme i mean there is a theme to it essentially we're all trying to become king of this place and it takes place over however many, you know, I think the game is only what, like, eight turns? Something like that? Am I, is that right? One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Well, I think it's six turns. I'll figure it out as we go. But uh, So, yeah, the theme is there, but you could really slap any theme onto this. Um... So yeah, let's get into the gameplay. So essentially, like I said, you have the two boards. Uh, on one board, it is all for resources. And you have these uh, workers that when you place them onto one of these houses, you pay like a wood and a stone, and then they get to stay there for the rest of the game. Uh, and once they're there, they can't be pushed off. No one can take the spot, nothing like that. And there's three to each section, so there's four to or 12 total. And like I said earlier, if you go there later on in the game, you have the ability to uh, go there and get stone. But if you have a guy there, you can get two stone or you can trade in your trade in something for something. Uh, kind of like a, a resource that's hard to get, which I believe is bread. And uh, I was okay with it. Um, I didn't know at the beginning of the game that they would stay there forever. I thought it was just kind of a place that you would go every once in a while. But I really didn't pay any attention to that board. I only went there when I absolutely desperately needed resources. Um, but it just kind of seemed like that didn't need... I don't know. Having two separate boards, like there's a lot more going on, the, going on on the other board. A lot more options that you can do. I think you could have just... I mean, I get the appeal. Uh, it looks, it does look cool having the two separate boards, but it could have all just been on one board. And uh, it just seems like something that you have to do more than you want to do just to get resources. So I wasn't like a humongous fan of that. Um, but I like the core mechanic of the game. Essentially, you have a nine, a nine card deck and in these cards, when you play them, they either, get, either give you a resource, uh, let you move an extra spot, or take a free action of some, of some sort. Uh, and essentially, the gimmick of the game is that each board has four quadrants. 
and on each quadrant, uh, you you don't get to choose where you go necessarily, but you have a tiny little uh, three slots in front of you, and they're labeled one, two, and three with a boot, which is how far you can move, and it has a clock, clockwise motion on it. So essentially, you commit one of your th- you draw three cards, and once you play your three cards, it's the end of the round, and you have a nine card deck. So it's you do it that three times, then you do it three more times, and that's it. So you get uh, twelve turns and uh, there's, yeah, 12 turns the entire game, which does, does not sound like a lot, and it definitely isn't a lot. But essentially, you have, you take one of your cards, and you put it into one of these slots. So, let's just say I take my wood, I put it into the two slot, and then my meeple has to, can only move two spots on one board in, in a clockwise direction. And it basically makes it so that you can't go to the same place twice in a round, the same, uh, the same quadrant twice in a round. And it was very interesting trying to figure out uh, what to do. Uh, do I use my three movement first so that I can go to this thing first? But if I play a one and I just move up one space, then I have to go. I definitely need to put do my two next, but I want to go to this place too. And uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It's a very, I've never played a game that has a very unique mechanic like that where you're kind of sliding these cards in and just moving your meeple around. And uh, it's definitely it's definitely the core of the game is you have those three cards and you put them in the little slots. So that was cool. Uh, I haven't, it, it was very cool. I'm not going to lie. Um, and it, and it, you're given... It feels like you have way more options than you actually do because all you can really calculate is do I want to move one, two, or three, and do I want to play this card, this card, or this card? Um, so it didn't really allow for analysis paralysis, which is why we named the show that. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, the coolest part of the game to me is there are these cards that you can buy uh, with kind of a, a resource that's hard to find, which is these uh, golden rings, uh, or like red gemstone rings. And essentially they're just uh, resource dump cards. Um, but on the card, it goes in order of, you know, royalty. It'll be like, I don't know, like prince to duke to something else duke to king or something like it it goes up the chain essentially uh and when you buy one of these cards you get more and more victory points whoever buys the first one gets the most points and the gimmick of it is that you have a little character on the top of your uh, three slot board and you slide the card behind it and it looks like a, a pair of hands putting a crown on your head the second that I found out that I found that out, I immediately went for the strategy of just going for those cards, and I ended up getting to the very last one, and so I bought all of those cards. Which actually brings me to what I didn't like about the game. It's interesting, but I didn't like it. Um, so the victory point track is double-sided, and what I mean by that is that there are two different kinds of victory points that you can get. There are people points and housing points. Your house starts on 35 and your person starts on zero. And 
as you play the game, you might get plus five house points. Or like I said, with the crown, the crown cards, you get uh, people, people points. And so obviously, since I'm going for those, I'm getting a lot of people points. And at the end of the game, your victory points is the lower of the two numbers. So with maybe three rounds left, I finally got the, the crown, the final crown, and I was at like 60 to 70 points with my person, but my house was on like 41. And so it felt like I was being, I mean, I understand that I should have been going for the house as well. And I guess they kind of want to mitigate someone just going for one strategy and just dumping a bunch of points into it. Because I was further than everyone else and as far as people points goes by like 10 to 15 points. But I didn't like how it forced me to go for the house points. Uh, I mean, because if you never get any house points, you only have a score of 35. And I think the guy that got first place had like 60 points or so. And uh, it just didn't seem... I just didn't, I wasn't a fan of it. It's a cool idea, and I admittedly tunnel visioned what I wanted to do in the game, uh, but I just wasn't a huge fan of it, because it felt like I was being punished for doing the thing that I thought was coolest in the game. Um, so yeah, it was a good game. I learned it pretty quickly. Uh, it was enjoyable. Would I play it again? Probably. I wouldn't choose to play it again, but I kind of want to do a rating system for games, not necessarily out of 10, because that just kind of is going to force you to stay away from a game. I kind of would, I would rather do it based on what I, would I buy it, would I play it again, or would I never want to see it again? Um, and I think I would maybe play this game one more time, and then I'd be okay with never playing it again. And that's even with, I played like a super deluxe version of the game. The guy that owned the game before had, you know, there's like books and in the game, the resources are like books, stone, uh, these like sleeping bag, good goods looking things, wheat and uh, wood uh, and coins. And he had like deluxe, like metal coins. He had little miniature books that were painted and everything. And so I played with like a premium version of the game. And even with that, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, go hooting and hollering about playing it again. So, um, dang, I've been talking about this game for a minute and it's the one that I liked the, the least spoiler alert of the three. So yeah, uh, it's a decent game. It's definitely a good game, but it's just not my cup of tea. Uh, and I did what I wanted. I got what I wanted out of it. I got to the final crown and I put the final crown on my person and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, but then I lost the game because I only had 41 house points. So, so yeah, that is Crown of Amara. So it's up to you. If you want it, go get it. If not, uh, it's not a bad play. But let's get to the better games. And uh, we'll start off with Lost Ruins of Arnak. So I played Lost Ruins of Arnak about a month ago after hearing about it from one of my buddies. And so let's kind of go over it here. So it is a one to four player game made by designer Elwin Min. Or are those two different people? 
Huh. So Elwin is the co-author. It looks like the only game he's ever made. And then who is Min? Okay, it looks like it's the exact same person. I am confused. So yeah, somebody made the game. Yay, yay, yay. Um, the theme of the game is very Indiana Jones-like. The cover, or Jumanji, it almost looks like Jumanji. Uh, the cover just has like a typical crew of people walking through some vines with like a Aztec-looking area in the background. Uh, very, very much adventure Indiana Jones feel. Uh, the artwork in this game is fucking amazing. Uh, it's very, very good. Uh, the board is very tall and long, and it has like a really pretty sunset in the background, and it kind of looks like the Everglades. There's like a bunch of marshes and the sun bouncing off the water. Uh, it is a very, very, just completely very well-produced game. Uh, I can't say that enough. It is almost, it looks like a Kickstarter game. Uh, that's the best way I can put it. Uh, the the pieces that come with it, there's a some resources in the game. There's uh, gems, arrowheads, and these like talismans. Uh, and then there's also gold and these little compasses. Um, the only thing that's not, I guess, premium of those are the compasses and the coins. They probably should have just put metal coins in the game. Uh, I don't know why they wouldn't. Uh, but aside from that, the arrowheads are like textured and look like actual arrowheads and they're nice, a nice blue color. The gemstones are also like nice and chunky. They're not just like some tiny, it feels like a reward every time you get one. Cause they're probably the hardest thing to get in the game. And then the talismans actually have like an indented inscription on each one and they look great. They don't clutter the board either. There's a section on the bottom of the board for you to put them and they just look great. Uh, and Having a bunch of them in front of you felt really, really cool. The coins and the compasses are just cardboard, but I think the compasses kind of just need to be cardboard. I can't imagine a, uh, what's it, what's the word? doesn't cost a lot of money way. A sufficient or efficient, I don't know, one of those two, way to make those, make those compasses a premium thing. But I wasn't super duper worried about it. But you do get because you do get compasses a lot throughout the game. It's kind of one of the main main resources. Um, but yeah, absolutely beautiful production. The tiles with the monsters on them is really great too. Uh, I, you're not going to be disappointed at all with the production of the game. I can definitely say that. <clears throat> Playtime. Uh, I played it with four people, and this was our first time playing it. Don't put me, don't quote me, but I think it took us, it definitely took us two hours, maybe close to two and a half, but the game gets, uh, there's more options ahead of you as you play the game, so um, it becomes more difficult to make decisions, definitely. Uh, so I would say after you know how to play it, um, there's two sides to the board. I haven't played on the harder side. I played on the, the regular normal side of the board. Um, but I would say it probably takes a really, really fast game would be an hour. But I'd say generally it's a probably 90-minute game. But it's fun the entire time. Uh, the game's style is kind of an amalgamation of a lot of things. Oh, and I forgot to mention the meeples. They have little uh, Indiana Jones hats on. So those are really cute and uh, fun just a nice take on the meeple but the game style is it's 
a deck builder. Uh, the game doesn't feel like it has a central thing that you're doing. It feels like four or five secondary things kind of mega zorted into one. Uh, so there's deck building, there is worker placement, there is resource management, there's a track on the board that you have to move up, and uh, then there's like monster hunting. I guess that kind of counts as worker placement because that's what you have to do. But uh, yeah, there's like four or five things in the game that you can be essentially going for, and uh, they all matter to a certain degree. Um, so yeah, so just a, I, I always say that, oh, here's the basic gist of the game and I end up over explaining it, but that's why this is called analysis paralysis because I can't help myself. Okay. So basically the game, you only, you start off with two workers and you only ever have two meeple workers. Uh, you have a hand of five cards at the beginning of the round and those cards could, when you play them, you get a compass, or when you play them, you get money. When you play them, uh, you do some type of ability, some way, shape, or form. Uh, and once you play those cards, there's a bunch. You can play those cards, but there's also a bunch of free actions that you can do. Otherwise, you just get one action on your turn. An action could be placing one of your workers into one of the spots, uh, playing a card from your hand, um, buying a tile. Uh, a lot of things. There's a lot of, lot, a lot of actions in the game, um, but there's a lot of free actions in the game as well. Uh, for example, moving up the uh, track that's on the right side of the board, that's a free action. You can do that as many times as you want, and doing you can even do it on somebody else's turn. It doesn't, it doesn't really make a humongous difference. Uh, I mean, in the rules, you're probably not supposed to do it on someone else's turn, but if I pass the turn and I was like, oh, I forgot to do this because there are a lot of little things that you can do, uh, it's really no sweat off anyone's back. Uh, man, there's a lot of things you can do. So yeah, basic turn. You draw five cards. You play out those cards. Once everyone has passed, uh, you take your workers back and you do that again. And you do that for four rounds. Doesn't sound like a lot, but... Uh, that's where the deck building comes in. The more you, there's uh, artifacts and there's item cards. Artifacts uh, are much more powerful and they require a different resource. They require the tablets and the card or the items, they require gold. And so gold is much more prevalent in the game and so you can buy these item cards and they go into the bottom of your deck and then you're guaranteed, at least in the, in the beginning of the game, you're guaranteed to draw those cards. And there's a way to kind of zap cards out of your hands because uh, throughout the game you can go to these exploring areas. So on the cards, uh, you can either play it for its ability or you can play it because it has uh, a travel symbol in the right-hand corner, which uh, is either a boot, a ship, a car, or an airplane. The airplane can be, it's like a wild card, uh, a boot, and, or a ship, and a... Um, car are as good as a boot and then a boot can only go to the four four or five basic areas on the board which is go here get an arrowhead go here get a ruby go here get two talismans go here get two gold and those fill up pretty quickly but then you can send 
and this is what what I really wanted to go for during the game is you can send them out into the wilderness to fight stuff. So essentially, you would go into uh, one of the spots by playing either. There's four slots for a car, and there's four slots for a boat, and you can actually. It's indicative of where they are on the board. All of them are on the coastline if you're using a boat, which is really cool and thematic. And so you go there, you take a tile from whichever level of monster, there's two levels of monsters, you flip over the monster, and you immediately get a some resources, but then the monster requires a certain amount of resources to kill. And that could be two hard-to-get resources or three or four relatively common resources. And if you don't kill them before the end of the round, you essentially open that spot up for somebody else to come kill it, and you also get a fear card in your hand, which is minus one victory points at the end of the game, uh, and also clogs your hand up, because the only thing you can use it as is a boot to go to one of those other areas. So if those are all clogged up, then you have a dead card in your hand. Um, which I thought was pretty cool, because you had to you have to technically run away from the monster and you're scared, because you're scared of it, and you get punished for it. Um, I actually ended the game without any fear cards, which was really dope. But uh, uh, let's see. So you do that, you do that. So there's the monsters, there's the item cards, there's the artifacts. I really liked the artifacts because when you bought them, you paid you know four or five talismans for them, and then you immediately get the ability on it. And then when you draw it and you play it, you have to pay one talisman to do the ability. But the ability was so good. Um Every single, every single time. And so you, the game had a very, very amazing sense of ramping up, which a lot of games don't have in my experience. And a lot of games, it feels like you ramp up, you ramp up, you ramp up, and then the game ends. And you don't get to relish in that ramping up moment. Um, or like right when you're about to get to where you want to be, the game just ends. And that's not how it felt with this game. Uh, the third round we were all doing a lot, a lot of things, um, especially moving up the track. Now, I'll, let me talk about the track for a second because it actually was pretty interesting, not just like a basic pay this, get this type of track. You have a magnifying glass and a book, and the book can never go higher than the magnifying glass. Kind of like you can't, it's kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but uh, the magnifying glass was like research and the book was like, finalized research i guess and so you can't have finalized research without researching it first so there's multiple ways that you can go up so if you go up the left side of the board you still get the same resource but you have to pay a different amount of resources for it and so you're essentially committing to that line and once you get up um, you'll get a resource you'll get to draw a card there are these little assistant tokens in the game that uh, you can upgrade to basically double their effect and they kind of act as like an extra card in your hand. Uh, and so as you do those, uh, you just move up, move up, move up. And it's a it's a good way for you to dump your resources into. Like if you have a surplus of uh, rubies and um, coins and arrowheads, then you can dump them into that track and it moves it up fairly quickly. Um, and it's a very big chunk of where your points are going to come from because there's four spots at the top, and I think if you get first place, you get 23 points. So that's, a, that's a good chunk. 
And also this game is very point salad like because you, and when I say point salad, it means every little thing you do, you're getting, you're getting points, getting points. I play this card, I get two points. I play this card, I get three points. I go to this place, it gives me five points and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so, man, I am just rambling about this game. I really, really liked the game. And I don't know if it's because of my final turn, but essentially I was trying to draw as many cards as I could in this game. Oh, and also this was actually really like this. Whenever you went and killed a monster, you got to get one of these like little totem tokens that gave you three victory points and you start off the game with 10. But then on your character board, which are really pretty by the way, on your character board, there are uh, a one, two, three, and four. So that's added up, that's 10. And you could cover up these slots with that token, not losing the points from the token, but it allowed you to take a free action to do a, to essentially trade it in for something. So you could get, you could like trade gold for rubies. You could get an arrowhead. You could draw a card. You could kill a card in your hand. And uh, man, my final turn, I probably took 12 to 15 quote-unquote turns after everyone else was done. You know, the buddy to my left went and he was like, all right, I'm done. I can't go up the track anymore. I have no more resources, no more cards. And then my other friend went and then my, fr my other friend went. And then when it got to me, I think I, I went, someone else went, and then I took seriously 12 or 15 turns because I, I had an engine in my in my deck where it would be play this card get these resources draw another card and so i draw another card and then that card would let me buy a item card and when you buy an item card you put it on the bottom of your deck but then i had another card that let me draw the most recent card i put at the bottom of my deck back to my hand and that card would let me draw cards so i got to like go through my entire deck and i was just getting so many resources from playing these and i i think the track let's just say it's 12 slots i was maybe at slot five when I started that turn and I got it to the very top just just by playing those turns. And so I was very, very, very excited to be playing that. I, I mean, it sounds like it took a long time, but it was maybe five minutes, maybe a little bit less of me just playing by myself, just trying to maximize the amount of points that I got using the tokens to take free actions and stuff. It was very, very, very rewarding. And I felt like I was just a king raking in gold towards my body it was it was so much fun i really really enjoyed it and i could give a shit if anyone was upset that i was doing it but i think they were more impressed by it um and i think i ended with like 76 points which was six higher and i actually got the last slot on the top of the board because once you get to the top of the board you can just dump resources into getting uh victory points essentially and a couple people did that and i never got to do it once and I still won the game, which really I was really, really happy with. Um, but with that said, I don't think that's going to happen every single time I play the game. I don't think I'm going to be able to just have this amazing engine that I've created because other people will know the cards and yada, yada, yada. But man, the only complaint that I have about the game is that it doesn't feel like there is a big climax to it. And I know that what I did was very climax-like and that I took a lot of turns, but 
the most climactic thing I guess that you can do is go to the top of the board where the hardest monsters are, which are the level two monsters, and you can fight those. But those are just victory points essentially, or they give you a benefit. But if we're at the end of the game, the benefit that they give you isn't as good as it is in the middle of the game when you're still ramping up. I really, really wish it reminds me of role. The game, not at all, but uh, there's a game called Role Player, and it's just a dice placement game, and it just didn't feel like that great of a game. But then the expansion allowed you to dump all of your resources into fighting these final bosses or these big monsters, and it just felt like there was a climactic end to the game. And I really wish that there was a big monster or something that you could fight at the end or you had to get off the island or something or just just one extra little activity to kind of build towards and look forward to instead of just you know I have these 15 to 20 resources I guess I'll just dump them into the track and get a bunch of more victory points it's not it's not very thematic I I wish you could essentially go into a battle with like a this is my idea at least, but go into battle with like a big, there's like a big deck of monsters. Like you could just put eight monsters into the deck that are really big and take a lot of resources and you all have to work together, but whoever commits the most resources gets the most points or something along those lines. Like I, I think that'd be really, really cool. Or that you, or you could like dig for artifacts or if you don't spend the artifacts, you can take them to like museums. That'd be really cool. There's a lot of potential with that theme to do something like that. So before I even talk about it anymore, I'll just give it my rating. I wouldn't call this game a must buy, but I can't help but want it. I don't own it just yet. I've only played it the one time. And after I first played it, I was like, "Eh, I don't need to buy it but I would definitely play it again. I kind of want it now because a lot of the games I own in my collection are heavier, take a lot more time to uh, teach, but the theme kind of speaks for itself. You understand what each thing does in the game pretty quickly. And so it's a nice light to medium weight game that uh, I guess a quote unquote serious gamer would enjoy and that a casual gamer would enjoy as well. Because it is just so pretty, it's so fun, like moving all the pieces around, and it's just a very pretty game. And so, I'm not going to go and say that it's a must-buy, but if you see it on sale, I think it's retail $60, It's an I think it's a must-buy at $40 uh, because of the quality of it. Um, if I ever saw it for $50, I, I would buy it, and I just think it's a great game that if you're having your buddies over and you're worried if they're and you're trying to like get them into games, it's a great, great game to do that uh, because it has it dabbles in so many different mechanisms that if you are really trying to get someone into the hobby, it teaches them basic deck building, basic worker, super basic worker placement, teaches them tracks and victory points and resource management. Like it just it does all those things really, really well. It just it's missing that bang at the end. Um, so I definitely really like it. I very, very much like it, and I want to own it. And I will eventually, hopefully. Um, wow, I've been talking for 43 minutes and 53 seconds. And I still have to talk about Inish. My goodness. Um, I'll tell you what. We're going to, you know what? We're just going to do it. 
I'm going to make this a, a part two. A part two to this here podcast. Because uh, I didn't expect to talk about these games for so long. But that is... I can't be short and sweet. It is impossible for me. And I apologize. So I'm going to go ahead and stop this here. Uh, and then in part two, I'm going to review Inish. And because uh, I also need water because talking is difficult and I'm tired from it. So uh, thank you for listening to the good old analysis paralysis. And I will see you in the next episode. Uh, thank you very much. Peace.